I invite you to open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7 to 10. If you're doing that, just a reminder, on the 30th at 4 p.m., we'll have a Reformation Sunday concert uh, featuring Doug and Jocelyn. And so we hope you'll join us, invite others to come out uh, to join us as we hear musically uh, the meaning of the Reformation. Our verses are 7 to 10. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Well, Father, now we ask for insight as we consider these words of yours. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Solomon, if you were here last week, pointed out in verses 4 and 5, he who is joined with all the living has hope, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Solomon is basically saying it is good for us to know that we will die before we actually die because this gives us some time to prepare for death, for, for eternity. Living lays before us the hope that we can mend our ways, that we can change. Remember, as Solomon says, the dead are gone. They know nothing. They have no more rewards. They are soon forgotten, and their passions are vanished. That is the fate of everyone who lives a life apart from God. And so Solomon tells us that while we are living, we should learn from that reality. He paints that picture, which is true of everyone. And he says, look, seize the opportunities that you have while you're alive. The saying is carpe diem, seize the day. Well, when you're thinking of seizing the day, usually we think of doing something extraordinary, that something that, that would be life-changing, we're going to seize the day, something radical with our lives. Maybe uh, if you're younger, um, you know, hiking Mount Everest, something like that, it's amazing, or something amazing like that, skydiving, or, or, or thinking of it spiritually, we, we may say, I'm done with this ordinary life, I want to go and I want to bring the gospel to an unreached people group. Uh, The possibilities of seizing the day in an extraordinary manner are endless, the things you could do. However, that being said, uh, what Solomon writes here is is much less uh, extraordinary. In in fact, he commends for us in our vain life, that's what he calls it in verse 9, he's commending for us things that are quite ordinary, to say the least. If you look, there's no call to change the world here. There's no call here to do amazing things for God. There's no call to live radical lives. 
Uh, there's no call to sell all you have and devote yourself to those things that we normally think of when we think of Christians seizing the day for God. Now, what Solomon says here is simple enjoy the ordinary. Or if we're to say it in light of our devotion to God, glorify God with your life by enjoying the everyday, often mundane, ordinary things of life. And so that's going to be our message this morning. Now, there are four ordinary things he commends us. But before we look at those things, we need to kind of take a step back. We need to think of all that Solomon has said up to this point about life. These verses seem to be a contradiction when you consider all the previous things. How many times has he spoke about the frustrations of life under the sun? He's he's talked a lot about striving after the wind. He's talked a lot about vanity of life. He's spoken about the difficulty and the despair that life under the sun brings and causes. Over and over again, he talks about oppression and toil and the burdens of life. All that is true. And along the way, he's also commended to us joy, though. Uh, Let's walk through that. In chapter 2, verse 24, he wrote, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. In chapter 3, he wrote, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. That is the gift of God to man. Chapter 5, verse 18, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. And then in chapter 8, he actually commended joy as kind of a lifestyle. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. And so, how do you reconcile those two things? They seem like a contradiction. Life is vain, he says. Life is meaningless. It's futile. Enjoy life. It it seems like a contradiction. But see, really, and you know this, it's an apparent contradiction. There's no real contradiction at all. Solomon is just simply being honest about life. He's being honest about the whole thing. He saw life in its, its full complexity. There's highs in life and there's lows in life. There's pessimism and hope as well as optimism. One moment we're crying and the next we could be laughing. That's the reality of life. And so the same man who said all is vanity can also say there is joy in life. And the difference between the two views is where God fits into the picture. If God is at the center of your life, you can have joy in the midst of vanity. Think about it. All those passages I just read. Solomon speaks of joy in the midst of the reality of vanity. And in the midst of that, he always mentions God. God's at the center in chapter 2, from the hand of God. In chapter 3, God's gift to man. In chapter 5, he says, excuse me, he says that God keeps us occupied with joy. And then again in chapter 8, and God. 
Solomon may be frustrated with life, that's true, in this fallen world, but he still acknowledges in the midst of that that there are good, enjoyable gifts that we receive from the hand of God. And so we see this in our passage as well. In verse 7, Solomon says, God has already approved what you do. Now, Solomon is simply not saying God approves everything people do. He, if you go rob a bank, he's not, God approved everything you've done. He doesn't approve that. He doesn't approve you getting drunk, for example. And this statement about being approved by God doesn't have anything to do with the doctrine of justification where we're accepted or approved by the righteousness of Christ. It's not talking about that. What Solomon is doing here. He's, he's pointing us back to the Garden of Eden where God blessed us with all the basics of enjoyment in this life. Food and drink and marriage and work. Basically what Solomon is saying, that the things we enjoy in life have the blessings of God. It's been that way from the very beginning. Uh, uh, sin, of course, has distorted it. We know that and from, the, uh, from the fall. But the point still remains. God calls us to enjoy life. Many people picture God as this cosmic killjoy. I told you this before. I had a friend after I got saved say, how does it feel to know your life is going to be boring forever? You know, God's just going to, you know, doesn't want anything to do with me. All he really wants is me to submit to him and be obedient to his gloomy rules and keep me from having fun by following his regulations. But that's not who God is. That's not what we read in the Bible. He created us to enjoy the things of this world. And so in the midst of the toil, in the midst of the vanity of life, while we still have breath, while we're still in the land of the living, we can experience joy. And that joy is found in the ordinary things of life. As I said, he lists four of them. Our food, verse 7. Our clothing, verse 8. Our relationships, verse 9. And our work, verse 10. Now, another writer put it this way, our meals, verse 7, our mood, verse 8, our marriages, verse eight, 9, and working with all our might, verse 10. And so look at the end of verse 10. There is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you're going. And so that's the context. It brings us back to the previous verses where Solomon was talking about death. And so you have this dark backdrop, uh, looming death. And he's saying that that death brings urgency. And, and, and what is before us is as he considers that death is this advice, he commands us. He says in light of that, that, that gloomy, looming death, he commands us to go. He, he commands us here to eat and drink. He commands us to let our garments be. He commands us to let not. He commands us to enjoy. He commands us to do. And so there are the commandments. And the first commandment is basically a wake-up call setting up all the other commandments. In light of our eventual death, he says, go. There's no time to waste. Stop your complaining. Go. 
Stop your fostering of anger. Go. Stop fretting about all your problems. Go. Get, get over your frustration. Get over your anxiety. Go. Death is coming, he's saying. Go. He, he's calling us, beloved, to embrace the good life, the joy in life before it's too late. Seize the day, he's saying, before death seizes the self. That's what Ron writer said. We're to find joy in life, and remember Solomon says that joy comes from the ordinary things. Go and find joy there in food and clothing relationships and work. Now, I'm going to move through these quickly because we've actually looked at all these. I'll dress them quickly, and then I'll summarize the point, and then I'm going to close by stepping away from Ecclesiastes and going to the New Testament and, and the importance of embracing the ordinary from the Apostle Paul. We'll see that in a second. But he says, here's the ordinary life before you. Go and embrace it. First, he begins with food and drink. Verse 7, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Now, those words are a command. We are commanded to eat our bread and drink our wine with joyful hearts. It's not so much that we are commanded to eat bread in particular and drink wine in particular as we are commanded to eat and drink with joy. That's the idea. And so the emphasis is on the joy. And notice it's a simple meal. In in that culture, meat was expensive and was reserved for special occasions. Bread and wine was the normal meal and was designed to simply nourish the body. And so that's the first ordinary thing, the enjoyment of food and drink. Second, verse 8, the enjoyment of clothing. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Now, now, this isn't saying you should be a slave to fashion. You have to... You know, read all the cosmopolitan articles about how you're supposed to dress. That's not it. Uh, You're not to go to the other extreme as well. It's good and proper to enjoy a good, clean set of nice clothes. Oil on your head is the ancient equivalent of deodorant. Smell good. Please. (laughs) Please. Put on deodorant. Smell good. The white garments here. And perfume were worn during special occasions in, in the ancient areas. One writer explains life was difficult in the average home, but every family knew how to enjoy special occasions such as weddings and reunions. That's when you wore the white garments. It was a symbol of joy and, and anointed themselves with these expensive perfumes instead of the usual olive oil. And these occasions were few, so everybody made the most of them. And so the point Solomon is making is that since life is short, make every occasion a special, joyful occasion. Third, enjoy your marriage. Look at verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Now, this one's obvious enough. Solomon is commending the daily pleasures of family life. It's worth pointing out, though, that his focus is on husbands. Dr. Riken explains, every husband is called to enjoy his wife. This means spending time together as friends. In all the busy demands of life, set aside time to do things together that both enjoy. 
It means prizing one another as lovers, Riken says. Speak terms of affection and, and get away, just the two of you, to, the fuel, to fuel the fires of romantic love. He says, enjoy one's wife also means valuing her as a person. Listen carefully to what she says without immediately pointing out where she's wrong. My wife's up there. You're trying to solve problems that she's not even asking you to solve until she, I can't read this and, and look at her at the same time. And, and, and even asking you to solve until she has been misunderstood. There are only a few ways, there are actually many ways that husbands are called to enjoy their wives. Now, this isn't easy. We know that. I joke about it, but we live in a fallen world. We're sinners. And husbands sometimes struggle to enjoy their wives. Wives sometimes struggle to enjoy their husbands. But if you love him or her, a love is a choice. It's a commitment you make. It's a decision you make. Then you can enjoy one another. Solomon links the two. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Love and enjoyment go together. And so in this way, Solomon's saying to rekindle your love and be intentional about enjoying one another. You see, for it's only in this life that you get the opportunity. That's the idea, the backdrops, uh, death. Only in this life do you get the opportunity to experience the joys of marriage. And so that's third. Fourth, Solomon commands the enjoyment of work. Look at verse 10. Whatever your hands finds to whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Now here we're told what to do. Whatever your hand finds to do. Not that we should work randomly or do whatever we please. Rather, in the course of God's providence, some things lie before some people and some things lie before other people. And, 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 and we are to do those duties, and, and, and they're pleasing to God. He has brought them before us. Uh, you can only do what God has given you to do. Not the things that he's placed out of his reach. And in one of his sermons on this passage, Charles Spurgeon described a young man who came up to him and, 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 and said, I, I, I want to I preach eloquent sermons in India. And Spurgeon looked at him and said, my dear fellow, why don't you try the streets of London first and see whether you're eloquent there? We want to do these extraordinary things. That may have been out of his hand. His hands were to do. What could he do? He could do something right now. And that's what Spurgeon was pointing out. See, each one of us should do whatever work God has given us to do, not what he's given someone else to do. And when we find that work, we should do it with all our might. See, the Jewish people in the Bible generally uh, looked upon work not as a curse, but as a stewardship from God. They took work seriously. Work came before the fall, by the way. Paul wrote, if any of you not, do not work, neither should you eat, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And so we should work hard to the glory of God. And, and, and Solomon says, that's, that's where you're going to find joy in this vain life. And so he tells us to enjoy these ordinary things, food, clothing, marriage, and work. Or to put it differently, as one commentator did, God's Word is commanding us to enjoy contentment by enjoying simple meals, to enjoy celebration, 
as shown by making every occasion a special occasion, to enjoy comfort while linen and oil and the skin were also worn because of the intense heat in the Middle East. It was comforting. And to enjoy companionship. Yes, in a marriage, but also different relationships, friendships, friendships in the church. And to enjoy commitment as shown by working hard with all your might. That's how we're to enjoy the ordinary life. Contentment, celebration, comfort, companionship, and commitment. And so, beloved, if we walk by faith, we will not try to escape the ordinary life. We will embrace it and receive these ordinary things as gifts from God. Life is to be active. It's to be energetic. It's to be practical, knowing that death is the end of the opportunity. And so that's the basic argument Solomon is making. It seems ordinary, and that's because it is. Now, I'd like to close. Well, it'll be a little bit longer of a conclusion, but I'd like to close by considering um, this idea of embracing the ordinary. But I want to move beyond Solomon, and and I want to look at the book of Ephesians. And we're not going to have time to study the whole book, but we'll walk through this pretty quickly. As I said, all these ordinary activities are gifts from God. They are to be enjoyed in light of our relationship with God. They were given to mankind in the garden, and we distorted them after the fall. And as I said, God's acceptance of us in verse 7 does not refer to our justification being declared righteous in God's sight. The truth is, if we're believers in Christ, there has been something radical and extraordinary in our lives. This transformation that took place because of what Jesus has done. In Ephesians, this is what we're told in Ephesians that God has done. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Verse 3, chapter 1. We're chosen in Christ before the very foundation of the world. Verse 4 of chapter 1. We have redemption. We've been redeemed by, the, by His blood. Verse 7 of chapter 1. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse one, chapter 1, verse 13. We were dead and now we are alive. Chapter 2, verse 1. We've been raised up with Christ and are seated with Him. Chapter 2, verse 6. We were once strangers to the covenant, but now we've been brought near by God. Chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. We have access through Christ by the Spirit to the Father. Chapter 2, verse 18. We're fellow heirs with Christ, members of the same body, and partakers of all the promises in Christ Jesus, says chapter 3, verse 6. That, that, those things are radical. That, that's your life. That is what God has accomplished. And in light of such a radical transformation as that, in every one of our lives who here who believe, we would expect a, a list now of after the first three chapters of Paul telling us what God has accomplished, now he's going to tell us what we're to do in, in chapters four to six of Ephesians. And you expect these feats of grandeur. That radical transformation should obviously lead to a radical life. We should be doing amazing things, spiritual things for Jesus. And if that's what you're expecting to hear from Paul, you're going to be disappointed. He he doesn't say these things. There is nothing in chapters 4 to 6 of Ephesians that are radical. 
There's nothing newsworthy here. Nothing people were going to write books about if you do them. This is what he writes. After all those things that Christ has done for you, he says, chapter 4, live with one another in lowliness and patience. Reject false doctrine and grow into maturity, spiritually speaking. Put off the old man. That's your sinful ways. Don't lie. Uh, Get rid of a sinful anger. Stop stealing and work hard so you can give to those who have need. Watch your speech, he says. Be kind to one another. And don't be sexually immoral. Don't fellowship with darkness. We're in chapter 5 now. He says, give thanks always. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husband, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, raise godly children. Work hard for those over you. Fight against the devil and his minions. And then in chapter 6, verse 18, he basically says, pray. Simple, basic, earthly, ordinary. They're simple things. Of course, there, there is more to Christianity than everything that Solomon or, or that Paul has mentioned in this letter. But we need to learn in our day that these ordinary things are important. We almost excuse people who violate all this because they've done something amazing, we think, for Christ. And Paul and Solomon are saying, no, this is, the, this is what's important. Uh, I, and so we, we need to remember that. We, we love the quote by William Carey. Have you heard the quote? Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. It's a great quote. And when we hear it, we imagine going into some foreign land and converting the whole country to Christ. And, you know, and, and, and that's, that's wonderful. There's people that may be called to that. And if you are, well, then please do it. Some people are called to give up absolutely everything for Christ. But see, everyone's called to evangelize the lost. And see, these things are not more spiritual, these extraordinary acts. We, we hear about a Billy Graham and think, wow, how spiritual. Billy Graham may have been spiritual, but it wasn't because he brought revival. God did that work. It's about what his life may have been like. And these callings are no more spiritual and no more important than the more mundane, earthly, ordinary things. You want to live godly for Jesus? You want to live a radical life? Love your spouse. You, you want to live a radical life? Pray for your children when they're sick. And pray for others. You want to be a radical Christian? Enjoy holidays together with other believers or people in your family. Celebrate a birthday or work hard at the office. If you want to be an extraordinary Christian, that's what you do. See, the point is, if you want to glorify God and be faithful to him, you're going to need to learn to embrace the ordinary. And so eat and drink to the glory of God. Celebrate the glory of God. Dress well and, yes, smell good to the glory of God. Love your spouse and the saints and your neighbor to the glory of God. Work, whatever your work may be, a plumber or a president, work with all your might to the glory of God. Pray, read your Bible, witness, tell others about Jesus, worship to the glory of God. Do all these ordinary things with joy. And see, when you die, here are the words that you'll hear. 
Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the eternal joy of your master. Let's pray. Father, we may take many of these things for granted as the the non-spiritual things that we must tolerate in this world so that we can do the big things. But help us to embrace the little for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.